I say to you, a sign of the times, then maybe like me, uh, straight away you think of the Bell Stars and their song called Sign of the Times. Uh, maybe you're in a second group who hear the phrase Sign of the Times and you think about a song by Harry Styles called Sign of the Times. Uh, the fact that you're in that second group, you are a sign of the times to the first group. And the sign to the first group is that you're getting old. And that uh, you're no longer perhaps in touch with the cut and thrust of popular music, as perhaps you once were. Uh, Jai actually told me there's a third group. Apparently there's a song in a, uh, in a musical called uh, Blood Brothers called The Sign of the Times. If you're in that group, you're also a sign of the times, as Jai was a sign to me that I have never seen that. Musical. Uh, anyway, my name is Ian, and I am one of the leaders here at uh, Rotherham Evangelical Church. This afternoon, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew called Jesus the King. And there is a lot going on in this passage that Rachel just read for us. Uh, so we're going to dive in. Uh, I'm going to be jumping backwards and forwards a little bit just to get the sense of what's going on. So uh, it's probably helpful if you keep your Bible open or, or on your screen. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible and then you're not used to reading it, when I say a, a chapter, that's the big number in there. When I talk about verses, that's the small numbers that you can see, that you can see on the page there. Uh, well, just to break this up, we're going to uh, think of this in three sort of groups, uh, three sort of uh, headings. First of all, the Sanhedrin. That's a funny word, I'll be explaining that in a minute. Uh, the Sanhedrin, and then secondly, the signs, and then the sufficiency. So the Sanhedrin, the signs, and the sufficiency. First of all, then, the Sanhedrin. Let's uh, pick up the passage sort of halfway through, chapter 16, verse 1. You can see there the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him. Uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees together were called the Sanhedrin. It's a, a religious body at the time and they looked after a number of aspects of, of Jewish life in, in uh, the first century Rome, mostly religious ones. But what's noticeable and, and what we should notice is that these folks were opposites. They were diametrically opposite to each other. And we've heard uh, quite a lot in Matthew already about the Pharisees. They were all about interpreting and, and maintaining, defending the Jewish religious law, uh, even adding to it, unhelpfully, uh, significantly over time. But the Sadducees totally different. They're very opposite. They didn't, they didn't accept a lot of we, what we know as the Old Testament at this point. They, they just accepted the first five books. Uh, and they tended to be from wealthy families. They were pretty laid back. Um, much less strict than the Pharisees. And they seemed to get on better with the Romans. The Romans who were occupying Israel at this time. Uh, they disagreed about lots of things. Theologically and politically. And they just didn't get along. But they agreed about one thing. They agreed about one thing, that they had an enemy in Jesus. They had a common threat in him. He was a man who taught with authority, who performed signs and wonders. He's popular with the crowds. Uh, he was noticed for his compassion. 
It was someone who was scathing in his criticism of their leadership. And he was making them look like what they were. And that was a problem. And so they come together. They come together. They unite under this common purpose. You may remember a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 12 when we read about the Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And the end of that passage was the Pharisees were planning to kill Jesus. Now the Sadducees are joining in with the conflict, with the desire to do away with Jesus. So they come out to Galilee and they test him. The word test, there is the same one that describes how Satan tested Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism. This is not a driving theory exam kind of test. They're trying to expose Jesus. They're trying to discredit him by his words and his actions, trying to turn them against himself. How do they try to do that? Our second point, by the signs. The Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus for a sign, a sign from heaven. He doesn't give them the answer perhaps that they're expecting. And the Jewish people would often be asking for a sign, perhaps because they were sceptical. In this case, have we said, it's not so much about being sceptical, it's about trying to actually trip Jesus up and to test him. Ask him to do something he couldn't do for some miracle or wonder that, that is from God, hoping that he is just going to flat out deny it or, or that he can't do it. Uh, Jesus, has, Jesus has been here before. He knows what's going on. He, he can read these, these guys' hearts. Uh, and so he, he, he lays into them. And he says, look, you know, you can read the signs in the sky. Why can't you read the signs of the times? They didn't have the Met Office or the BBC weather at that point. But Jesus is saying they could they could look at the sky and they could say, yeah, tomorrow is likely to be throwing it down or or whatever. Uh, we still say we can still do that. We, we rely perhaps too much on, on the weather forecast, but we still do that, don't we? We say we say things like uh, red sky at night, shepherd's, shepherd's delight. Um, and it's obvious we're thinking that, yeah, tomorrow should be a pretty good day because it's a red sky tonight and there's meteorological reasons for that I won't bore you with and Jesus is saying look you can do this so how is it that you can't read the signs of the spiritual times that you're living in you're supposed to be the experts this is what you're trained in this is your thing how come you don't understand what is happening it's a fair point it's a fair point. Jesus is two years into his ministry at this point and he's done some marvellous miracles. He's done some great signs and they've apparently not recognised that. Let's go back up to verse 30. Great crowds came to Jesus, bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled, the mute and many others. And he healed them. 
We can read over that really fast, can't we? And he healed them. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine being one of those people? Or perhaps one of those people is, is your relative. Perhaps they've, they've been crippled since birth. Perhaps they've, they've never spoken. Perhaps they are blind, perhaps from an accident, whatever it is. And, and there is no hope at this point. They've, they've seen all the doctors such as they were at the time. And they hear of Jesus and they hear you healing people and in desperation. They bring them, perhaps they're carrying them on, his, on their backs, leading them by the hand if they're blind. And Jesus heals them. Can you imagine what that is like? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the, the impact it has on these people? And, and so they start to praise God. They praise the God of Israel. The significance of that is most of these people were not Jews. This is not a Jewish area. On, on, the, on this side of the Lake of, of Galilee. They're mostly Gentiles. And so this is also dynamite because Jesus is healing mostly non-Jewish people. What Jesus started in, in the passage in took us through last week where he, he, he starts to minister to a Canaanite woman. He's continuing here, providing for non-Jewish people. And then he goes on and he continues to do that. He provides for them in terms of he feeds them. We'd read about the feeding of the 5,000 a couple of weeks ago. This is, a, this is a different event, although there's a lot of similarities. Jesus feeds 4,000 men and their families. And like last time, the disciples seem not to get it on one level. They seem to have forgotten the feeding of the 5,000. They seem to have forgotten that Jesus provided the, the food last time. And so they ask him kind of the same questions again. You know, have they just got a short memory or something? No, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's true at all. I want to suggest to you that they're asking this question again because the crowd is mostly Gentile. And they're saying, the the implied question is, are you going to do this again for for them, for for the Gentiles? And and he does, he has compassion on them. And so he performs that same miracle. Some, some, Some details are different. And so they, they, the crowd, again, are just, are just filled with, with praise and, and joy at what he has done. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, having heard of that, some of them will have seen that, are now asking for another sign. Perhaps that is willful blindness. They cannot accept. The implications of what Jesus being the Messiah would be. And so they choose, they deliberately ignore these signs. And test him by by asking for another one. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that where where you are? In In your own faith or a particular aspect of your faith? You're ignoring what God is telling you? 
Alternatively, you might be, the disciples, might be like the disciples. If we, if we jump back down to uh, sort of verse 5, uh, Jesus uh, warns uh, the disciples. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yeast is in, in bread. Uh, and so the, the disciples just misunderstand where Jesus is going. Uh, he wants them to be on their guard against teaching and they're thinking about bread. And they're like, you've probably done this thing, right, on a family picnic or something. You know, you're halfway to where you're going and someone looks at each other and, did you, did you bring the pat lunch with you? Did you remember to get it out of the fridge? You're like, no, no. oh, no, man. I left it, I left it in the fridge. Like, oh, no, well, now what are we going to eat? You know, we had all that stuff packed up and, ah. Oh, you know, was that you were supposed to remember it? No, was that you were supposed to remember it? You know, they're in the boat having this argument. And Jesus is like, lads, I'm not talking about the bread. Right? We're talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the healings, the feeding of the 5,000, those are good things and they met the needs of the people at the time. But they are signposts for the people there they're signposts for the disciples they're signposts for us that this is god this is god at work jesus is the messiah the kingdom is upon us are you looking for a sign from god today are you asking for god to turn up and to somehow prove himself to you perhaps you're in some desperate situation Friends, he already has. Look here, the signs are clear and unequivocal. Who could do this? Who else could do this but God? Who else has this kind of compassion? Not only for his own people, but for cultures that, that traditionally at the time would be seen as his enemy. Just how big a sign would you have God do for you so you could trust him? Maybe you see these signs and be like the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're ignoring them because of the implications it would have on your life. Perhaps you're fearful of the cost of acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Maybe friends and family will reject you. Perhaps you have to change your lifestyle. Friends, if you ignore the signs that point to Jesus and his true identity, you are following a road to disaster. However, go, go back to what Jesus says to the Pharisees and Sadducees in reply. He says, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Do they, have, do they have the Pharisees and Sadducees scuttling back to the Old Testament scrolls and sort of rolling through to where Jonah is and like, oh, what's going on here? Um, you might remember Ben talking about this when he preached from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus brings it up again here. He actually uses the same phrase with it, you wicked and adulterous generation. Let's just, uh, let's just think about Jonah for a moment. Jonah's prophet in the Old Testament he tries to evade God's purpose for him. That's never a good idea, right? And he ends up in the stomach of a large fish for three days. 
When Jonah emerges from the fish, he goes to the city of Nineveh, which is where God had told him to go to in the first place. And the people there, the Ninevites, uh, believed his message and were saved. And his three days that he'd spent in the, in the fish and his, his rescue then by God was a sign to the people of Nineveh that his message was true. And that by believing in that message, they could be and they were saved. This is the sign of Jonah that, that Jesus is promising to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and to that generation and to this generation. The fact that Jesus knows that he's going to spend three days not in a fish, but in a tomb, that he's dead, and but then he's going to rise from the dead. An even greater miracle, an even greater feat than what happens to Jonah. This is the sign of Jonah. Healing and feeding people are great and they should be enough to point us towards Jesus. But dying and then rising from the dead three days later? What an incredible sign. What an incredible thing to point us towards God and towards Jesus. If you're looking for a sign, what more sign are you looking for? What more evidence can someone give you than the death of their son and his resurrection what more does God have to do to persuade you that he loves you and he has compassion on you and he wants to provide for you that he wants you to trust in him and to turn to him to turn your life to follow him. Isn't that enough? Isn't someone sending their only son to die in your place enough? More than enough. More than enough. Like the crowd who ate the bread here and the, and the, and the fishes, the sign of Jonah is enough to satisfy the death and the resurrection of Jesus is sufficient. It is enough. It is an abundance, in fact. So we come to our, our, our third point then. The sufficiency. The, the fact that Jesus is sufficient for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus is our sufficiency. It is enough. What the sign of Jonah, what happens to Jesus is a big red flashing light with neon signs going look it's Jesus it's the son of God he loves you and he wants to save you the leaven of the Pharisees the teaching of the Pharisees that Jesus is warning the guys about here in verse 5 is that following the rules is the answer to all your questions and all your problems. You've just got to follow the rules. Some of them are God rules, some are our rules, but just follow the rules. Like Ben said earlier, our nature is to be rule breakers. So we always end up falling short. The answer of the Pharisees is not sufficient. That is not enough. It will not save us the leaven of the Sadducees other way around is that life is for the living we're not going to be resurrected so eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die that, that kind of shallow 
hedonism, that self-interest, it only hurts ourselves and the people around us. As we live out a life just focused on, on us. The answer of the Sadducees is not sufficient. It's certainly not going to save us. So Jesus says to the disciples, be on guard against these folks. Come and follow me instead. Follow those signs. In Jesus you will find the deep down healing for the hurts that life has dealt you. You will be fed with the very words of God. And they will satisfy you in a way that food cannot satisfy you. He will help you carry the burdens that life has given you. Jesus is a constant companion, a quick friend, a sound advisor, a faithful provider. Even more than this, he is God and we can know him. He is God and yet he himself has chosen of his own free will to die in terrible agony for us, to pay the price for our sin, our rebellion against the true king. To those who trust in his death and his resurrection and who turning away from sin to follow him will be saved from hell and instead will live with him forever. We have forgiveness through him. He watches over us day and night. He loves us extravagantly. He has sent the Holy Spirit to equip us and to inspire us. The answer of Jesus is sufficient for the questions in our lives. He is our king. Our all-sufficient king. It's ironic, isn't it? It's ironic that the Pharisees and the Sadducees themselves are a sign. They are a sign to us that Jesus is the Messiah. Writing in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem even in their opposition and their conflict with Jesus in their persecution of him they are a sign that he is the Messiah well look around you look around you at the people who are here if you're at home think about the people who you know in the church here these are people who Jesus has saved he said I will build my church and he has done that. The people about you are a sign of the sufficiency of King Jesus. Whenever we see someone being baptised, or whenever we take communion together, these are in part signs pointing us towards Jesus and his sufficiency in our lives. Even this message today might be a sign for you in your life. I pray that it would be. A sign to explore what the Bible says about Jesus. To look for the signs of the times in which we are living. If you're not a Christian, a sign to put your trust in him and to turn to follow him. Because be clear, time is short. We talk about a sign of the times. One of the signs of the times is time is short. 
because a time is coming when we will all see a sign that we will all clearly know means that Jesus is the Son of God. The problem is, if we haven't put our trust in him by that time, it's too late. That sign will come when Jesus comes back again, when Jesus returns to earth. This is what it says later on in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. We will all know when Jesus comes back again. But if you wait for that sign then to believe, that will be too late. I pray that today we would all recognise that Jesus is our all-sufficient King. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you watch over us constantly. We thank you that you have a great concern for us. We thank you that you provide for us in so many different ways. Lord, we thank you that in the Bible you have shown us clearly who your son is. You have shown us clearly what he has done for us, for me. You have shown us signs to point in big, red, flashing, neon signs to say, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Trust him. Follow him. Father, I pray that we would indeed know that almost almost like a kid in Ignite, we will know that On the ultimate level, the questions in life, the answer is Jesus, whatever those questions are, because he is our all-sufficient king. Lord, I ask that that would be the truth of our hearts and experience today. Amen.